Hello, and welcome to Clue Dunnett Podcast. I'm just doing a little thing here up front to introduce a new segment we are adding to the feed. We have always wanted to learn more about the creators behind the shows we watch, and this year we are excited to share with you interviews with actual writers from the shows we're covering. We're happy to start this week with an interview with Sara Saidi, writer and story editor on iZombie. I recommend listening to this interview and then going back to the guessing episode to hear how we still managed to muff the guesses, even though she gave us some subtle clues. <laughs> anyway, she was a great guest and she had fun things to say. We cannot thank her enough. Enjoy this interview with TV writer Sara Saidi. So here we are. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jessica. And we are here this morning with Sara Saidi from right now Pretty Little Liars. But at the time, she was on iZombie. We wanted to talk to her a little bit about that. So Sara, why don't you tell us a little bit of like your origin story and how you got started and then how you landed on iZombie? Yeah. Well, you guys really took me like down a, a trip down memory lane and just revisiting iZombie because I feel like it's been a while. But iZombie was actually my first job, staff job, on a one-hour drama room. I originally started in a comedy. I had been on one comedy prior to that. And after that experience, I realized, I'm like, I think I'd, I'd rather do drama. I think I'm a better fit in a one-hour room. So I was actually sitting right here when I had my, it wasn't even, like, people weren't Zooming really back then, but I had a video conference meeting with Rob Thomas and Diane Ruggiero right when they were staffing for the second season of the show. And yeah, it was just, I, I was really excited because I had wanted to, I was excited about the show, its first season, but I didn't really have a drama sample ready yet. And I was thrilled to be meeting with them. I was thrilled that they liked my writing. And it was just one of those meetings where you, like, it ended, I'm like, I really, really hope I got that job. I think it went well, but you never know. And I ended up on the show for three seasons, so from two, three, and four. So I wasn't there for the first season or the last season. I left the last season because I just was itching to try something a little different. Mm -hmm. And I was on Grand Hotel that year, which then, coincidentally, our offices ended up being in the same building as my zombie. So I would still see all of my old coworkers all the time, which was sort of like the best of both worlds in a way. Right. But I will say it was definitely very bittersweet to not get to be there for the ending, but it was also really fun to get to watch that last season as a fan and not know what was going to happen next. Yeah. So I was glad of that experience too. Fantastic. And how did you get to the point where you got that interview? Yeah. What got you there? I had a little bit of a less traditional background uh, way into a writer's room and that I wasn't like a writer's assistant first or a writer's PA first. I actually started out as a TV executive. I worked worked at ABC daytime as an assistant for a period of time and then worked my way up to being a creative executive. So I worked in soap operas for a few years. Oh, wow. I was the executive covering General Hospital, which was really interesting because the, the whole time I really wanted to be a writer. And so in some ways, it was a very frustrating day job to have because I was working in such close proximity with the writers. But then as an executive, you often feel like you're a thorn in their side. And so... That dynamic was a little bit tough for me, but also because I really wanted to write. So it felt like it was kind of the next best thing without actually getting to do the thing that I really wanted to be doing. But that job really gave me a lot of great skills that I think translate well in a writer's room, just in terms of being able to articulate a pitch and problem solve 
but I feel very fortunate that I did eventually make the leap from executive to actually being a writer. And I think it would be nice if like every writer had that sort of executive experience at some point and vice versa, because I think it would really help you understand like I, I sometimes I joke like that I do speak network because I kind of <laughs> understand what I'm trying to get across. And I do think that I tend to have a lot of empathy for executives, which might not be a popular thing to say, but because I know that it isn't easy to have to give a note and it can be a bit anxiety inducing at times, wondering how that note's going to be received. So I always try to be pretty diplomatic when I when it comes to the notes and revision process. Um, but at the time, yeah, I didn't I didn't love that job because I really knew I wanted to be doing something else. And looking back on it, I'm like, it was actually the perfect way in for me because I learned so much about like how to even read a room and know when to speak and know when to stay quiet, things like that. Like through my executive background really did end up helping me in a writer's room. And I didn't realize it at the time when I was doing that job that it that I was building skills that I needed to be a writer. Fantastic. Wonderful. While watching a TV murder mystery, do your pets get annoyed by your guessing who done it during the show? Do they celebrate when you totally got it almost right? Should someone recognize you for your occasional spot-on guesses? Well, then you need a Clue Done It private investigator license. Our license grants you all rights and responsibilities of a TV crime investigator, including pausing and rewinding to get a second look at the clue, giving citations to guest stars for hamming it up, and of course, making wild guesses at TV mysteries with us in your very own home, office, or car. To get your license, go to cluedoneitpodcast.com and click Become a PI at the top of the page. Give any amount and this special license will be yours. Best of all, we'll recognize you on the podcast. That's cluedoneitpodcast.com and click Become a PI to make your wild guesses official wild guesses. Clue Done It PI license is totally fake. The podcast adjudication board based in the mountain in Squamish Canada is totally fake also. This license does not specifically prevent your pets from lodging complaints about your accusations or your friends from expressing concern over your hasty murder boards. And did you have an attraction to mysteries before or outside the show? And what did you what did you think were the skills or qualities that you brought to the show? Yeah, I didn't. I'm not like I love mysteries, but I it wasn't like oh, that all I want to do is work on like a procedural or a mystery show. I was obviously like a big fan of Robin Diane, so I was excited to be working for them. And I think that it did help because in soap operas, like we were telling so many different kinds of stories. Like we were telling mysteries all the time. We were telling romance. We were telling, you know, stories that were very like, you know, contrary to popular belief, we were telling stories that were also very grounded. And so I feel like I got a breadth of experience there that helped in terms of, you know, being able to pitch stuff that worked for the season arc mystery, the long mystery that we were doing like every season. And then also like, it was, it was a hard job in that we had usually a mystery or driving story that we were servicing for the whole season, but then you had the case of the week too. So there's a mystery every week that we were also breaking. And Rob used to always joke that, God, the show would be so much easier to break if we didn't have to do the case of the week. If we didn't have to like always come up with like a new mystery and like a new smart way for them to solve a crime. And Diane was always the on the other side of it. She she would say like, yes, I totally understand where you're coming from. But the procedural element of our show, I think, allows people to dive in to it 
And it also sets us apart from other like zombie shows that are out there. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was kind of fun because like we would sit there and we would talk about like what brain should she be on this week? And we would always look at each other and be like, what job would we ever be able to have, have these conversations? Like, this is hilarious. And I always thought it was fun to figure out how whatever brain she was on, like how it would complicate her personal story. So to answer your question about like what I think I probably had to offer in the room is that I did become known to be the person that was always pitching like the romance and the relationship driven stuff. I was oh like one of the storylines I always wanted us to tell that I don't think we ever really fully did was the zombie love triangle. Like once Major and Liv were both zombies, I was like, but it would be so interesting if there was another zombie too. And that she was torn between Major and this mm-hmm. other person. I feel like the obstacle for Liv and Major for so long was that she was a zombie and he wasn't. It was like, well, what if like they're both zombies, but there's still something else. There's still got another obstacle, you know? And I think we did that with the Fillmore Grave story. But um, yeah, I was always the one pitching like, Liv and Major should kiss. Liv and Major should finally sleep together. And like all that stuff, it was, I was that voice in the room. <laughs> that is always another one of those things that like makes that show so hard to, I could imagine so hard to break because you do you have the relationships you have the mysteries and then you have the season longer there's a lot going on in those in this group absolutely yeah so, I mean I think it was sorry I think it was sometimes hard to have room for the more relationship driven storylines because we were servicing so many other things as well and, and so in, just in terms of like in the terms of the mystery and working out the brain and all the fun stuff in there, like what were some of the craziest things that you had to look up on Google just to make sure that like, okay, well, what would happen if this weird brain eating thing happened? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I do remember I wrote the episode in season four where she's on player brain, like she's toxic bachelor brain. And I feel like we did have to, at some point, Google like poisoned condom, like if that's a thing that could happen. <laughs> so I think that was definitely one of my like strangest Google searches. And then I remember being so happy when I found, like I was Googling, like what are some things, that, there's a scene where they're like searching the murder victim's room. Like what are some things that they can find that work with his personality? And I found something online called Wiener Cleaner. And I'm like, perfect. It's like, <laughs> like that. And I'm like, oh, great. Thank you, Google. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is a, I'm sure I'm forgetting so much, but yeah. Google hasn't. Don't worry. The Google hasn't forgotten. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I will. Yeah. My computer has a history of me searching for a wiener cleaner. (laughs) Can you talk to us about the rules of the show and how they worked? Like, where do you sort of draw the logic cop line and, you know, what are the borders of the reality that you couldn't cross? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I feel like because we were a zombie show that we were already asking the audience to suspend their disbelief. And so that kind of allowed us to not get too caught up in logic. And I will say, too, I think that Rob, as the showrunner, doesn't like those moments in the room where we're getting too hung up on logic. Like, those would be moments where he would be like, we can go back to that or we can figure that out or no. Like, I think the joke in the room would be like, okay, one person on Twitter is going to probably notice that and get upset. But like, I don't care about that one person on Twitter. So I think that we were always sort of trained as writers to not get too hung up on those moments. Um, But I think just in terms of the police storylines, like, I think probably like we wouldn't have, 
of like a DNA evidence come back in 30 minutes or in, within the same scene, you know, like things like that, where we wanted to keep it a little bit real. But yeah, I think that was what was so freeing about being this crazy zombie show, which it sort of felt like we can kind of do whatever we want if the audience is willing to go there with us. And I think most of the time they were. That's fantastic. Because I, I wouldn't know if it would be like, okay, we've already asked them to take zombies. Now we have to keep things legit. Or it's like, okay, they've already gone for zombies. We can push things further. So it's fun to hear that that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think especially if you watch the whole show, like we definitely did push things further, the bigger the world got. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you didn't really come in with like a mystery background, although you did say that there were mysteries and everything, other, other kind of stories on soap operas. So what was it like for you, like developing mysteries? How did it work? Did you come in and pitch mysteries or did like the room develop the mysteries and then you had to go out and develop it on your own? Yeah, our process, like usually at the beginning of every season, Rob would ask us to each write three brain pitches. So three pitches of like, she should be on this brain and she or she should do this. And I think it was actually very cool because many of us actually did then get to write episodes where we had pitched like that specific brain. For me, Toxic Bachelor was one that I had pitched in one of those documents. And so it was like Fatal Attraction brain. And then, yeah, I had other coworkers who like everybody kind of got to write their dream brain. It's <laughs> really nice. So that was part of our process was just coming in with like fun weekly stories for Liv. And I think Rob and Diane were always really looking for like, what's the fun? Like, where where can we have the most fun? Where can we have the most comedy? Because I think the relationship stuff will come. And then as far as our process went, like every week when we were breaking a new episode, I, I, I worked for many showrunners and I will say, I don't know if it's because iZombie was my first drama room, but I am partial to Rob's process. I thought it was very efficient. And just in terms of like the first thing we would do is like, where did we end the last episode? So wh where are our loose threads? Where are each of our characters? Then the next thing we would decide is usually what is our A story? And the A story was always the case of the week. And those were actually really fun stories to crack because it felt like it was something new every week. You know, it was new characters, new ways to you know, like what would the opening death murder scene be? Like those were always really fun and refreshing. And then we would usually <laughs> nothing talk like about a refreshing murder. Right. I know. As soon as I said it, I'm like, <laughs> um, and then we would talk about the B, C and D stories, which were usually like live in major what's going on with Clive, what's going on with the Blaine storyline. And then we would kind of figure out what how how the a story and the brain that Liv was on would be in conversation with those stories and then we would basically lay out the beats put them on cards put them in the order in which we thought they should go in the episode and then we would do something called a massage pass which is basically going through every scene and talking about it and great detail. And that was always a nice opportunity where that's where you can sort of pitch the nuances of the scene. And I always really liked that part of the process too, because that, that's when I feel like you're really digging into the character within each of the scenes. And then from there, wh whichever writer was writing that episode would go off and write the outline and then write the script. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I appreciate wow. the appreciate the look into the room and the process on all of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks. Hello, investigators! It's March, and that means it's tournament time! Hey, 
Watching American college basketball may not be your thing, but since you're here at Clue Dunnett Podcast, we think we've got a bracket tournament that is totally your thing. It's our first ever TV detective tournament. Here's how to play. You vote for this year's fan favorite detective in daily matches posted on Instagram stories for 24 hours each game, starting Thursday, March 16th through Monday, April 3rd. The tournament kicks off March 16th with a matchup between vintage 80s Inspector Morse versus totally now Charlie Kale from Poker Face. And it goes on from there. 15 games, a new game, new match. Almost every single day, you decide who wins. Follow at Clue Dunnett Podcast on Instagram and vote in Instagram stories to whittle down 16 total TV detectives until there's only one survivor. I mean winner, winner. I, I do mean winner. See the game schedule, matchups, and winners on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And remember to vote on Instagram stories. Make sure your favorites come out on top by telling your friends and family to join us on Instagram at Podcast and play the only bracket that matters, the 2023 TV Detective Tournament, March 16th through April 3rd. So what are you working on? Or tell us what you're working on now and what have you worked on since? And tell us about your books. Oh, yeah, I will. Thank you. I have I am currently working on the second season of Pretty Little Liars Original Sin. Um, and I think it's OK to say that this season it's Pretty Little Liars Summer School. I think it's going to be very cool. And I love all the um, our showrunners, Lindsay Calhoun Bring and Roberto Aguirre Sacasa have like great like art that they use for every script and every episode that feels like very, very much a throwback to like 80s horror movies, which I love. So our summer school one is perfect. Mm -hmm. You can see it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a great show to work on. It's horror and it's slasher, which again is like not something that I'm totally educated on as far as the genre goes. Like, but it's great because we have like we have several people in the room who have seen every horror movie and know every horror movie trope and reference. And that's been a great show to work on, too, because I feel like it's teen, which I love young adult. But because it's on HBO Max, we also have the opportunity to push the envelope and like they can say the F word. And that's kind of a nice change of pace for me because I worked mostly in broadcast. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, my resume is sort of all over the place since I zombie. I worked on Grand Hotel for a season, which I mentioned. Um, I worked on Katie Keene, which was a show on the CW, which was unfortunately short lived, but one of the best experiences I've had. It was a great, great job. That was a, that was a musical, which I, I wasn't yeah. even aware of. Yeah, it was a musical and it was about like kids in their early 20s in New York City, you know, just trying to pursue their dreams. It was a really just like feel good kind of show. I really feel like people are going to somehow discover it and it's going to, you know, get a second life at some point. And then I worked on Green Lantern over the course of the pandemic. And sadly, that show is not getting made. So that was a tough experience. Oh, wow. Just, uh, oh, you know, no. being really invested in something and then not having it get made. But I think it was a victim of HBO Max trying to figure out like what they wanted. And I think with all those DC shows, it's, it, it can be tricky, but a wonderful experience. And I got to work with wonderful people doing that. And then as far as books go... That's something I just love to do on the side because I feel like it's such a good balance to being in a TV room. TV is so collaborative and it's, you know, it, it's great. Like every day you're sitting in a conference room with 
people that are making you laugh and making you think. And then books, it, it's really enjoyable too, because then that's something that you get to do just for yourself, by yourself. And to also, mm -hmm. I guess, be able to real come up with ideas and go, okay, I can, I can do this by myself if I have to. Um, so it's just a very different, you know, process. I feel like it, someone, someone once said to me, like TV is for the money, books are for the soul. Oh. <laughs> like, I think that's true to a certain extent, but I feel like I, I have been lucky that I've worked on shows that have also fed my soul. But I write mostly young adult. I had three books that are fiction and then one young adult memoir. And my latest book came out in October and that's called I Miss You, I Hate This. And it's about two high school seniors during a global pandemic, which is obviously inspired by the one that we went through, but not exactly the so, same. I, I think I can identify. Maybe not the high school senior part during, but yeah, I, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, part of it for me was those first couple months of the pandemic, I kept thinking about, I just felt so bad for high school seniors that weren't going to have prom mm -hmm. and graduation and all these milestones that I feel like, you know, high school has its highs and lows, but I think those are moments that you're really looking forward to. So I really wanted to kind of dig into that. And also I felt like, oh, maybe this will be cathartic for some young people to read who went through it. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, there yeah. you go. Sara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Really love the show. Appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, now we'll turn into Pretty Little Liars and uh, we'll see where that takes us. So, yeah, it's a great show. You guys have to tune in. I'll come do. back. I'll come back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And now we want to hear from you. Tell us your guesses, your scores, and your suggestions for what shows we should watch next. Go to our website, cluedunitpodcast.com, or email us at cluedunitpodcast at gmail.com. Or Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Cluedunit Podcast or on Twitter at Cluedunit. And if you like the podcast, please rate us and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcast to help us get the word out. And maybe you'll hear your review read on the show. We hope to hear from you soon because watching, watching TV, TV is always better, better with friends. friends.